Good evening, everybody, and welcome to High Spirits. I'm Jay Stegman, and with me, as always, is my pal... Noelle Schmidt. That's right. And uh, you are listening to the show called High Spirits, in which we drink booze and we talk about ghosts. Yes. <laughs> uh, Noelle, so good to see you. You too. What's happening? Um, just drinking and hanging out with you. Yeah, I love everything about that. Um, What's happening with you? I am also drinking here with you, but I am staring at your drink, which has a blue straw in it. <laughs> it is not your typical concoction. No, no, it's not. Um, I felt like I wanted to theme drink with the theme of the night. <laughs> Actually, so, you and me both, sister. Excellent. I almost clapped and I realized how loud that would have been. <laughs> I think alike. What's your yes. theme? Uh, my theme tonight is a homemade wine cooler made with three parts <laughs> black box uh, Cabernet. It's wine in a box. And uh, Sprite Zero and some ice cubes, because I feel like the ladies in our story would definitely entertain this drink. Also, for the ladies at home, I didn't realize we were going to do a cooking show, but (laughs) you can make this as you listen. You're welcome. Three parts red wine, one part (laughs) Sprite Zero. You could probably do it with white wine as well, or Diet 7-Up, or regular uh, white soda as well. You don't have to go diet if you don't want to. That's personal soda. We're doing white soda now? White soda. <laughs> like clear soda. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it white? I thought it was white. I don't know. I don't know. Like ginger ale? We'll never know. We'll never know. Ginger ale is it's more of a yellow. gold. Yeah. <laughs> gold soda. Gold soda. Uh, <laughs> what are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, Rolling Rock. Ah. Old 33. Old 33. From Latrobe, Pennsylvania. <laughs> How do you know that it's from there? Uh, I used to drink a lot of Rolling Rock in high school and college. Gross. Yeah. I've never really had a taste for it. Uh, I don't think I don't think people do. <laughs> I was actually wondering a little bit why I used to drink so much of it. And when I checked out, that's right, at 7-Eleven, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, two six-packs of 16-ounce cans, $11. Hey. Yeah. So I was like, oh. I know why I drank this. That's a steal. Yeah. So I don't think I had a taste for anything. No. No. I, I think I had a taste for cheapness. And, uh... I mean, you could definitely go cheaper and worse. So I feel like you're still doing okay. Sure. <laughs> I should do, like, the old style episode. <laughs> uh, Get it. Wrigley Field. They sell old style, right? They I'm laughing because dollars. I like old style. Do you? It reminds me of my grandpa. Okay. Of being of childhood. There's like the smell to it that reminds me of like they would have like kegs and parties in the barn and the old guys would drink old style. And I may or may not have tapped them beers when I was a young child. Did you tap them beers? I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I totally know. did. I don't know if you couldn't remember or you just didn't want to say. I did. Um most of those men are dead, so I don't think they'll be in trouble now. Dead men tell no tales. Yeah. No. So it's, an, it's a fond of death, memory. Oh. oh, yeah. That was my second. <laughs> Start over. Let's do it again. Speaking of death. We'll cut it out. Uh, boy, well, we're not going to cut anything <laughs> out. You know that. Uh, I'll try it one more time. Speaking okay. of death. Yeah? We got a hell of a story for you today. You don't say. I do say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Noelle's going to take a lead on this first part, mm-hmm. and she's going to tell you what it is. Well, ladies and gentlemen... It's the moment you've all been waiting for. That's supposed to be a drum roll. Wow. Um, it's Amityville night. Clap, 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 clap. Hooray! <sighs> <sighs> okay. You got everything in this one. We got 
murder, we got demons, we've got famous demonologists, priests, (laughs) flies, a pig, all of the things. So, um, buckle up. Yeah, get stoked. We're going to talk about it. Buckle it. it. Get yourself a homemade wine cooler and let's Amityville. Pour yourself a rolling rock. (laughs) Yeah. Go old 33. Here we go. (laughs) Enjoy. So, uh, we're going to start at the beginning. And in the beginning, God made man. No, there was Ronald. And saw that man was lonely and created a woman out of his rib. In the beginning of this story, God made a man. His name was Ronald DeFeo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was born. Sounds like a nice guy. He probably had a really nice family and nothing but Everything home. worked out. Um, <laughs> the end. See you guys later. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs> um. Uh, Ronald DeFeo was born and raised in Brooklyn, um, New York, okay. in case you were not sure. Keep up. Um, and there, uh, as a ch- as a young man, he started working for his father. As a ute? As a ute. It is a father. I'm not even going to try to do that. <laughs> no, I was, do it. Do it. Don't. Oh. Uh, you <laughs> I was going to be like. Commitment. I know. You did it physically. I did it physically. I was going to be like, hey, yo, I work for my father's Buick dealership. Oh my God, you just got the role of Chachi and Happy Days. Yes! <laughs> I'm only 30 years too late. 40, Aww. probably 40 now. Um, Joni died. What? Did you know that? No, we have another ghost in heaven. When did she die? Oh, it was probably a month ago. Oh my God. Yeah. She had some serious problems. Aaron Mor- Moriarty? Nope. Aaron Moran. Aaron Moran. Do I know an Aaron Moriarty? Is that what I said? That? Probably. Anyway. Are you G-chatting her? No one's multitasking. I'm sorry. My boss is actually pinging me right uh, now. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway. Um, oh, silence. I'm sorry. Okay. Let me cover that. So, uh, anyway. Um, so, Ronald DeFeo, uh, as a young man, uh, started the car started in the car dealership business that his father owned and was soon enough able to... Uh, start running his own dealership. Hey. So um, it was like competing DeFeo's, competing Buick dealerships. I don't know that that's true. I'm that's the American that dream. It is the American dream. A Buick for every man. Yeah. Well, that was a thing, I think. Was it? I don't know. Um, so Wasn't it a Marlboro for every man? <laughs> yeah, definitely <Okay>. that. <laughs> definitely that. Uh, when uh, Doctors say it's safe. <laughs> when Ron... Uh, became successful enough, he decided to move his family out of Brooklyn and move them to Amityville, Long Island. Gosh, that sounds like a really nice place. It's not bad. That name sounds like it's Friendshipville. Is it? Probably nothing. Yeah. Oh, I did. Probably nothing went wrong. No, everything worked out and we're done. Okay. Okay. They had, they lived happily ever after. Well, thank you for listening. See y'all later. That's not true. Yeah. All right. So. Ron moved his family, uh, his wife Louise, and their five children, Ronald Jr. He sounds nice. Also known as Butch. He's all right. Uh, Don, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew into a two-story house with attic. Uh, <laughs> don't forget, there's an attic. Yeah. Um, it had five bedrooms, a uh, three bathrooms, plus a boathouse and a pool. Um, you've probably seen pictures of the iconic house. Mm-hmm. On in the millions of movies, documentaries, and books, million and sixteen of the story. There's been a lot. Guess this what? This is famous. This house, famous. <laughs> <laughs> I 
What's the address? Uh, the address is 112 Ocean Avenue. Uh, fun fact, previous owners actually changed the address. They had the post office change the address um, because they were so tired of all of the mail and um, the onlookers coming out to 108 Ocean Avenue. Joke's on everybody else. Oh, so it's not actually... So it's now 108. Oh, okay. So it went okay. from 112 to 108. Um, so the house uh, was the house of their dreams, this beautiful home um, on a canal. Uh, and it was swimming a hole. swimming hole, lovely neighborhood. Um, they called the house High Hopes. Well, it sounds like that's a place where dreams come true. Well, I feel like that was a mistake. Okay. I feel like you shouldn't name your home. Because sort of like it, naming your son champion. <laughs> <laughs> there are few, very few, very few times when naming your child prince or queen are actually going to work out. Right, and it's only and it, happened exactly twice. In the case of the Latifas and the princes. <laughs> What's Prince's last name? I don't know. I I'll never know. Prince. I did know at some point. I did. Queen Latifah's not actually Somebody named. look that up and let us know. Yeah, let us know. Oh, I thought she was named Queen. No, no, no. I think it's Dana something. Oh, Dana. I think her name is Dana Owens. Um, okay. What yeah. a generic name. Well, Queen Latifah's awesome. She's killing it. Yeah. Love her. All right, moving on. Um, so Ron Sr., uh, on the outside was known as being a really fun, loving, happy, go lucky guy. People really liked him. Um, he was a big part of the community. Well, you know, the way that people present is the way they are at home. Exactly not. Oh, um, he well, that is a surprise. reports were that he wasn't the nicest guy at home. Stop. Nope. Not so great. He, uh, had a violent temper. Oh, he, um, was known to harass his children. Um, that's a weird word for it. Yeah, well, so apparently he really went after Butch. I'm going to call Ron Ronnie Jr. Butch from this point forward. Um, he really went after him as a child because he was overweight, kind of awkward, didn't have a lot of friends. He really kind of, like, wasn't living up to the standards that his father had put out for him. Um, so he, he didn't seem like a, like a Buick up. dealership man? No, he definitely wasn't car dealership material. <laughs> um, he, <laughs> he just came home and he was like, <laughs> pull up those pants. Yeah. Clean out those ears. You think you're going to own a Buick dealership if you can't play baseball? You need a little bit more swagger in your step if you're going to sell some Buicks. Well, Ron Sr. had some uh, high standards. High hopes. High hopes, indeed. Um, So, yeah, he picked on him a lot and really went after him. And there, there are talks of there being, like, him having, like, bouts of rage and violence where the abuse would be physical and verbal. To the kids. That's awful. Yeah. So, sorry to Theos. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. It's going to get worse for you. It's but not going to end well for anybody. Um, there's also the uh, rumored red room that is in the basement of the house. And there are allegations that he actually used that room um, as kind of a punishment area or possibly even a disappointments room. <laughs> um, oh, Okay. I was pretty proud of that one. Yeah, no, I like it. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so as Butch got to be older, he thinned out. He got in more or better shape, um, and he started to be intolerant of his father's abuse. Well, I have to say this. I'm, I'm going to put a flag on the ground here. Yeah. And um, 
tell you something, having done all this research and spent so much time with um, uh, Butch uh-huh. slash Ronnie Jr., I'd just say he's kind of attractive. I would say yes, agree. Like, like for a psycho. Correct. So but, let's do this really, really quickly. Let's okay. take the temperature of um, uh, good, good-looking psychos. Okay. So I would say Bundy's a ten. What do you think? Um, he's not totally my type, but I would put him up there. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, but if we're ranking, like he's the top. He's well, the like, tops. like in attractiveness, like he's a ten. He looks normal on the outside, but he's like. A oh, right, right, right. Person. Okay. And then like yes. one would be like an Ed Gein. Correct. So like. Like, yeah. a five and lower sort of has our Richard Ramirez's eyes. And mm-hmm. then, like, five and above sort of has, like... And Richard Ramirez, I would say, is only losing it because of the teeth and, and halitosis. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Otherwise, then, he's actually a very attractive man. Well, yeah, but... Okay. He did horrible, terrible things. So, well, I know, but the halitosis and the teeth, I, I can't. That's, you're, you're losing us, Richie. So, I would put uh, uh, Ronnie DeFeo... Or we're calling him Butch. Butch? Seven. Yes. Agreed. Totally and God. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. He had the whole 70s look going for him. The hair. The Uh beard. All the stuff. All the clothes. Yeah. Because we're about to find out. Ronnie got whatever Ronnie wanted. Yeah. Oh, Ronnie. So as he got older, he became intolerant of his, his dad's abuse. And he actually, pardon me, adopted, um a lot of the, a, a lot of similar behaviors of his father. So a lot of the violent tempers and, um, outbursts at one point, his parents actually didn't know what to do with him because he, um, was kind of just so out of control. So they took him to a psychiatrist and he determined that which was a big deal in the sixties. Yeah, totally. Like yeah. We have to remember that that's like, he must've been so out of control right. that they did not know what to do. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was... Uh, now, a- I'm personally not psychiatry shaming. I'm just saying it's been a good long uh, 50 years. Well... And so we've all come a long way as a population. But, like, later on, Ronnie maybe had schizophrenia? Something? Um, possibly, Maybe, yeah. like, a breakdown? He had. He something. definitely had something. Well, they... And we'll get into this, yeah. too. Like, in the trial, like, his lawyer claimed that it was neurosis. Um, so, but he... I mean, and you have to also kind of, like, look at what psychiatry was in the 60s or what kind of, like, those conversations looked like. It's a lot different than it is today. We're in a much warmer environment where then I think it was very sterile. Yeah, they probably threw him in there and they're like, talk to this man about why you're so weird. Right. And he probably really, like, didn't – he probably talked at him and didn't have a conversation. And then he went back to his parents and hushed tones. He probably didn't even talk to Louise. He probably only talked to – Ron Senior, so which sounds like Mon Senior. I just realized. Oh, um, I don't know why. Yeah, well, but we can speculate, but it, we'll uh, never know. Though the thing I just wanted to illuminate is, of course, it was very progressive for the time. Or, yeah, I don't know. Well, or it was that severe that they. That's felt what that I think. I don't think the DeFeos from uh, Long Island were like what I would call progressive. You never know. Okay, but probably not. <laughs> I just think that they were at the um, wit's end. So, uh, so yeah, so Butch decided that he did not need the help. And so he just stopped going. Mm -hmm. And so to more or less placate him and 
just kind of like keep him at bay. Uh, Ron Sr. and Louise were just kind of giving him whatever he wanted. So at the age of 14, they got him a $14,000 speedboat. What? Because what 14-year-old kid doesn't need a speedboat? I needed one. I mean, I had yeah. hand-me-downs. I don't think I got anything. <laughs> I just had to ride on my friend's speedboat. Yeah, my speedboat was my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I meant my clothes or hand-me-downs. Uh, yeah. So that happened. I didn't have a stitch of clothing, clothing that belonged to myself until, like, late high school. Really? Yeah. Is that a fact? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. I was the only girl, so oh. my clothes came fresh and new. Oh. Um, not that I'm bragging or anything. Mm-hmm. I definitely went through a, a thrift store phase, though, where... Oh, I did, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I feel like pain, I guess? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I have no regrets. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you've made it. Yeah. So, so yeah, they kind of... They gave him whatever he wanted. So if he asked for money, um, they gave it to him. He's kind of like the the John Ralph, John Ralphio... Oh, okay. ...of Long Island. Okay. Money, please. Yeah, kind of like that. Um, uh, is this is this the part where I'm supposed to feel sorry for him? No, not okay. at all. Um, at 17, he was kicked out of his uh, private school due to drug use. Oh, yeah. At 18, here's where things get crazy. Um, <laughs> and they weren't before. His parents were having a violent argument in the kitchen, and uh, Butch, who was um, we learned later in his life, was a gun fanatic. Went to his room, grabbed a 12-gauge shotgun, walked into the kitchen, pointed the shotgun at his father, and pulled the trigger. What? Luckily, the gun never went off. Jesus. Was it loaded? It was loaded. So this was just luck? This was luck. It never went off. That son of a bitch should have been in prison. He put the gun down and walked out of the room not saying a word, acting completely unfazed by it. What a weirdo. That's crazy. Yeah. They, I mean, they had to have been terrified of him. Yes. Which will actually come into play later. Yes. Remember this story, friends. They were terrified of him. Yep. So later on when you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense. Just remember how terrified these people were. Yes. So, um, he started working at, uh, his father's dealership. Ugh. Must be nice. Yeah. Um, at one point. I'm so jealous. Like, I don't know why I was so jealous of him. I'm like. I'm like, if only my parents were like the DeFamos. If only my parents had a Buick dealership that I could work at and slough off all day. I wouldn't kill him. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't happy with his pay or um, how much he, he was getting on top of that. Like as a, an allowance each week, he felt like he didn't have it, wasn't getting enough. He had a pretty severe drug habit. <laughs> what kind of drug? So um, he was doing a lot of LSD. And oh, the marijuana. that's the worst. So... Um, of course, he had a total meltdown. Yeah, so... Uh, Why do you sell Buicks when you're, like, on the uh, on Lakeshore the Drive? <laughs> I don't know. There's no room for a dealership there. Um, <laughs> it's a mystery. I was calling LST. I, yeah, I got it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I don't think he was doing it while he was at work. Yeah, he was. He totally was. Um, so, he decided with his friends to stage... He had friends? He had a lot of friends. Gross. Um, he had a girlfriend. I mean, he was a seven. Yes, yeah, so that's scale. true. That's true. So, seven yeah. and rich. Right. Which makes him kind of an A. 
yeah. an A. Oh, he was a total A. Like, he's kind of like a Menendez brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to, like, compare it that way. Not I as, would like to. Not as flashy or as rich. A Lyle or an Eric? Um, he's probably an... A Lyle? <laughs> Lyle's I like, like they, so you said Anne and then Lyle, so I thought you were going with I was going to go Eric. with Eric, but then I was like, but Eric's the gay one, right? Yes. So well, I don't know. He's a younger one. Is he actually gay, or was he flirting with being gay? I, I, it doesn't I, matter. I, 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 it doesn't matter. But I, th- I think he's more of the Lyle. The bald one. The one with the, the wig. Muscled? Yeah, the one no. with the wig. The one whose dad made him. <laughs> We're a toupee. Poor <laughs> Lyle Menendez. It's a terrible story. Um... So he decided to stage a robbery with his friends. Gross. So he um, had convinced somebody at the dealership to have him take the bank deposit in. And he claimed that when he took the deposit in, he was held up by gunpoint and robbed. So he lost the money. The money's gone. So they filed a police report. Um, and when the police came... To question him, he was, at first was very cooperative, but then the more they asked, he actually, like, became kind of, like, violent and, like, freaked out on them, and it kind of weirded them out. Okay. Footnote, or, like, <laughs> make note of this story later on when some things don't make sense. He scared the police. Anyway, continue I'll say. So... So he, like, at one point, they put him in a car, in a police car, I believe, and he was, like hitting the top of the the roof of the car, like, freaking out in there. And they're all, like, the police are kind of like, we don't want to touch this guy because he is losing his shit. Right. Um, So, and of course, that's when Ron Sr. was like, something doesn't seem right here. (laughs) I don't think you were actually robbed. Um, Yeah. Yes. So they... um, they accused, so, like, they went back home. His father accused him of stealing the money, which, of course, turned into another argument, which caused Butch to, like, hop in his car and leave. Um, the following Friday, the police asked him to, uh, asked him to come down to the station to look at some um, lineup photos, to which he, at first, was like, yep, I will come down, I will take a look, and then he um, decided he did not want to do that. He did not feel comfortable doing that. Um, A few nights later, on the night of November 14th, 1974, at 3 a.m., while everyone in his home was sleeping... And he was, what, 23 at this point? He was 23 years old. Butch took out a 35 caliber Marin rifle from his storage, where he kept several of his weapons in his room, He first walked to his parents' room. He took two shots into his father's back. The first ripped through his kidney and exited through his chest. The second uh, pierced through his spine and lodged itself in his neck, killing him. Footnote this for later on because he killed the patriarch of the family, the one who could protect everybody, first. Yes. And they know this through forensic science. It isn't to say... Well, anyway, I'm just saying the one person who probably could have stood up to him Gone, dead, first. first. This is a fact. He next went to his mother, who was shot twice, um, shattering her ribcage and collapsing her right lung. Uh, The first shot didn't kill her. It was the second shot that killed her. Um, The first shot for Ron Sr. was the the death shot that we know. Um, He then moved to his brother's 
room. Mark was killed instantly while John's spine was severed. Um, and uh, he eventually died from that. He then went to his sister's room. He shot both they of them. shared a room. They shared a room. Okay. He shot both of them in the face, and he blowing off the left side of Dawn's face, Dawn being the oldest sister, who was 18 at the time. I believe uh, John Matthew, the youngest, was only nine. Um, the entire uh, ordeal only... Yes, remember the face uh, blown off story. It's going to come up later. Yep. The entire ordeal only took 15 minutes. Um, he showered. He trimmed his beard. <laughs> he changed Christ. his clothes. Went drinking. Um, he collected his bloody clothes and physical ev- all the physical evidence he could find. And he put them in a pillowcase. He then got in his car and he drove to Brooklyn where he tossed the pillowcase in a storm drain. He then returned to work in Long Island that morning. Um, around noon, he was bored. He decided to leave. Um, he had... Uh, no one was like, where's your dad? Where's your pop? Well, he had called home several times from work. And Did of course, he not remember that he killed them? No, or? not sure. He called home several times, no answer. So at noon, he was like, I'm out of here. This is boring. I'm leaving. He um, met up with his girlfriend, Sherry, um, who eventually, uh, and at one point in her presence, he called home as well, still to no answer, to, like, find out where people were. Um, Didn't they notice that, like, Mr. DeFeo, like, neighbors noticed that his car wasn't gone to work or anything like that? I don't know. People, the neighbors... They seemed really toned up to this whole thing. clueless. Yeah. Like, they had no idea that anything was going on. Uh-huh. And we'll get to that later, too. Sure. They will continue to, like, never right. have noticed one damn thing. Yeah. The neighbors completely clueless. And it's not like... This is Long Island. It's not like... This is a suburb. Like, it, the houses... Yeah, it's not like there's acres of land. They're 40... The houses are 40 feet away from They're next door to each other. They're very close. The neighbors were completely clueless... And completely hands off until we're getting to it. <laughs> so uh, he and his girlfriend eventually go to a local bar. Um, uh, oh, shoot. What's it called? Harry's. Harry's, I think. Yeah. Um, which is not far from the house. Uh, there they meet up with their friend Bobby Kelsky. Um, after not being able to reach his family again, he tried calling from the bar. Which is not far from his parents. He could have just driven over there. It's like down the street. Yeah. It's like, I think, under a mile. It's It's very close. close. Um, So he's doing all this, like, peacocking of, like, I'm calling my family from other people. I can't get a hold of anybody. Exactly. So um, he decides he's going to go home to check on them. Did he bring his pals with him? He didn't. He went by himself, and he returned several minutes later, running into the bar, uh, screaming, screaming that someone shot his mom and his dad and he needed help. So he, um, with his friend Bobby and several people from the bar, go back to the house um, to find his parents dead. They call the police. The police show up. That's when the neighbors start congregating outside of the oh. house when they see the police. So everybody's now out of their houses to see what's going on. When the police arrive, he says, my brothers and sisters are in there. 
And that's when the police, because they only went into Ron and Louise's room. Oh, I just got shivers. I'm so... That's when they uh, go into the kids' room and they discover the other kids. That's awful. Butch tells the police that his family could have been killed by a notorious mafia hitman, Louis Fellini, um, because his father had connections to the mob. Now, Fellini had lit, he claimed that Fellini had lived with them for a short period of time and Butch, um, claimed that he and his father had helped him carve out some space for Ronald senior to hide gems and cash, possibly the red room. Oh, now. Interesting. Now, did they really know a mob person or is this? BS? Well, as we you mentioned earlier, um, he said he's, he, he always claimed that his uncle was a mob He claimed guy. that his uncle, and I'm trying to find it because it's later in my notes, he claimed that his uncle, I think Paul, um, was uh, part of, or Pete, I'm sorry, Pete DeFeo was part of the Genovese crime family. Uh-huh. He was a capo regime, which is basically like a boss. Yeah. He's like, he's, it's like the head, somebody else, and then that rank. It's like Amway. It's just a pyramid scheme. It's a pyramid scheme. (laughs) But it's like the third guy. It's like the third guy from the top. Um, he's, so it's a, he's a quote unquote made man. Yeah. So he had always claimed that his uncle Pete was part of the, part of the Genovese or Genovese crime family, um, and so that was kind of like the tie into what could have possibly killed his family. Um, and that's going to come well, in a little bit later as well. Oh, are you going to talk about the um, style? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to say that could come into play if, if we were talking about pop stuff. Yeah. Um, so he went, so when, when the police found him. So it's interesting, his first story and, and uh, Butch had a tendency to change his stories. Right. Uh, Stop. I'm telling I'm okay. going to tell you all this stuff. I know you're excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> so don't pout. Don't I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Um, so when the police found him, or when they got there, he was inconsolable. He was sobbing. And that's how everybody described him. So he, this is one thing that, like, I always find suspicious is that people, like, either he was a very convincing actor or he was regrettably, like, sorry, like, sad, like, very, like, I don't know the word I'm looking for right now, but, like, they, they really had a hard time with him, like, he refused to go in the house, because he was, like, they're in there, I won't go in the house, he was so sad, um, he, but he was also, like, I want to help you, I want to, like, figure out what happened, like, he went back to the police station, all of these things, and then the police started to kind of put the pieces together. Uh, he well, left- and just a couple months earlier, right? He had been like the crazy man in the police car. Correct. Yeah. Well, no, it was like a week earlier, a week earlier. It was that much he earlier. Had- yeah. So they had, they had a, a, a pretty good, if not idea that this person goes from like zero to 68 on every occasion. Right. He was definitely off his And These were the officers that were afraid of him. They go find him. Right. And, his family has been massacred and he's just like, I don't want to go inside. Right. He's losing his mind and they've already experienced, which I understand. I I would never want to see anybody murdered, but also 
if it could be helpful. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Well, and he was Just also a little fishy. They also kind of knew him too because he had been busted for I think stealing an outboard recently. Like he, was it an outboard? An outboard like a for a, a motorboat. Like nice. it's the mo- it's a speedboat. It's like the the motor. I think oh, is the outboard. Oh. Okay. Um. So. Uh, he had been busted for that. He had been busted a couple times for drug use. So he was known yeah. to the Amityville police. And again, like this is a small community in Long Island. So their police department is probably not that big. It, yeah. It can't be. If you see Murder, She Wrote, it's probably staffed like that. Totally. <laughs> so one thing that he did, he was sloppy in his cleanup. Like he thought he had got everything, but he, well, and also just a quick thing. Cause you yeah. and I are like forensic files fans and whatever. Right. Uh, this is like pre when DNA was a thing. Let's say OJ Simpson really put DNA on the map that right. trial. Right. So when we say he was sloppy, he was probably hella sloppy totally. for today's day and age. Yeah. Where like everybody knows you should probably wear like, um, a complete suit of plastic and mm-hmm. like, there's so many things that we, I mean, like, Noel, if you wanted to be a serial killer, you would totally get away with that. I, I will neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just saying so for like, in I, the couldn't, 19- I couldn't cause I live with the guilt, but. Oh no. I mean, neither of us could do it, but we could do it. I would know the, the steps possibly. So when, if the police department in 1974 thinks that you are sloppy, you're sloppy. Right. Right. I mean, if these rubes, if a Huckleberry is like, no. I think he's got blood on his shoe. <laughs> then you're like, okay, great. Like mm-hmm. you really Sherlocked Ronald DeFeo right. Jr. Well, Butch wasn't too smart. You don't say. And he, yeah. So the first thing he did was he left the boxes of the 35 caliber Marin oh, bullets in his bedroom. So they were like, wait a minute. These are the same bullets that were used to kill the family. I don't know why they weren't this good with the Jean Benet case. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They really should have put the Amityville detectives on it. I know. These guys were, like, good at their Um, job. So they pretty much, like, found these bullets, and they were like, yeah, you did it. You killed your family. Um, The end. Like, they didn't need much more. Uh, Your story doesn't add up. All of these things. So um, Did he confess? They arrested him. They questioned him for hours. And he eventually said, "Uh, no, it all started so fast. (laughs) Um, he said, once I started, I couldn't stop. It went so fast. Uh, so in October, for, um, on October 14th, 1975, so less than a year after, the trial began. The defense claimed that he was mentally insane and suffer- suffering from neurosis, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and on the stand, he claimed that it was self-defense. He said, oh, and this is a direct quote, as far as I'm concerned, if I didn't kill my family, they were going to kill me. As far as I'm concerned, what I did was self-defense and there was nothing wrong with it. When I got a gun in my hand, there's no doubt in my mind who I am. I am God. What a piece of shit. Yeah, totally. So that's messed up. So he said that on the stand. Yep. What a piece of shit. And the defense tried to spin it as this guy's crazy. He's a wackadoo. He doesn't know what he's saying. Um, but the, uh, and just, just so you, just so you guys know, um, remember he killed six people and, um, his brothers and sisters, he killed four of them all under 18 years old. It's disgusting. Yeah. Three of them are under 18, but it doesn't matter. Oh, Don was older. Don was 18. Oh, but still. 
That's what I meant, like 18 yeah. and under. I mean, like, so be like, why don't you have more sympathy for this asshole? I don't. Do not. Um, he clearly, I mean, he, he, he probably, here's the thing. He certainly has some mental instability and he certainly has some issues there that should have been also, treated. And his I have parents, to say this. what? Not to that extent. I do too. Correct. Okay. So but I, mean, I was even trying to make a joke about like how if you were a serial killer, you can get away with it because you've seen enough forensic right. files and you had enough moral compass to be like, yeah, but I wouldn't. Right. But he doesn't. No. He clearly he's doesn't. He's a dick. No. And his parents did make the effort of putting him through, you know, taking him to some form of therapy, but they also gave in to him. Sure. When he decided he didn't want to go, and he they just kind school, of placated him, and his dad gave him a job. Right. They they did they did things, but they also enabled his behavior at the same time. Like I don't want to I don't want to vilify them in any way. No, but, but it's also interesting. It's hard to believe like like behind closed doors, senior was such a dick. But right. But they're like, also like I don't know. There are plenty of family friends. Um, that have corroborated that part. Okay. So that, that is more of a known thing. Like family and friends have said like, like abuse or, well, I think, um, kind of hard on, I think, I think he, they, people talk about him having a violent temper Okay. and kind of flying off the handle with his kids and his wife. Okay. And I think Louise, um, confided in people. Oh, okay. Right. So, from what I can remember from one of the countless documentaries I've watched. Okay. I mean, life, I believe it then. I just, it's just like. Yeah. It's very convenient for it's, uh, Butch to be like. It's super convenient, but I think that that, I think there is truth to that. Okay. Um, okay. So, on November 19th, 1975, the judge sent the jury into deliberations. Um, two days later, they came back with a vote of 10 to 2. And the judge sent them back. Um they received the transcripts of DeFeo's testimony, and after rereading them, they came back with a unanimous vote of um, 12 to 0. Uh, he received six counts of 25 years to life, mm-hmm. so he was charged with all six murders. Um, and he sits in jail to this day. Um, so, here we go. Here's... Let's talk about all the strangeness of Butch DeFeo and the story in general. So there are a couple of odd things, which you kind of alluded to before. All six victims were found face lying face down on their stomachs in their bed with no signs of struggle, um, which that kind of plays along with the mob hit theory. Mm-hmm. Shoot to the back of the head. Um, so there is that uh, there. The police invest. Uh, there are also no sedatives, right? No sedatives. Um, toxicology reported nothing. So no next- rationale why these people would voluntarily wait for themselves in their own rooms to be correct clicked off. Okay, correct. Very bizarre. The police also found um, that there was no evidence of the rifle. He used a rifle, which is very powerful and yeah. loud. Well, um, yeah. he, and he'd used one before in the kitchen. Right. But it never went off. I know. Um, but he, they concluded that, uh, the rifle had not been fitted with a sound suppressor and found no evidence oh, of sedatives, like we said. So, um, the neighbors, like we said, also, also did not report hearing, hearing any gunshots. I will say this, uh, just as a quick thing, cause I know you're going through all the weirdness of it. 
But those neighbors must have heard so much shit from the DeFeo house all the time because that kid was on drugs and uh, allegedly senior was beating them all up. Um, I think those neighbors just checked out. I think they didn't want to have anything to do with it. And here's this guy getting arrested in his car and freaking out like a crazed person a week before. And I think they're just like, you know what? That's how the DeFeo do. But if you hear Ron, two shots, Louise, two shots, that's four. The boys, two more shots, that's six. The girls, two more shots, that's eight. If you hear eight gunshots, you're waking up to that, especially when you live that close. Even if you're 100 feet away, I hear fireworks in this neighborhood sometimes, and I'm like, what what is that? Yeah. Like, that's a very... Well, maybe, I mean, honestly, his family was so afraid of him. If I were a neighbor at 3.15 a.m. and heard eight gunshots, and I thought Ryan But you're still not calling the police? Well, they should have called... Yeah, you're right. They should have called the police, but I don't... You're in the safety of your own home. I don't reprimand them for not, like... I don't either, but I I think it's suspicious, and I think it's odd that nobody heard anything. The only thing they heard was the dog barking. Yeah, I'm with you. Keep going. And that's weird. It is weird. It's a weird thing. It's all weird. All the paranormal fans are probably right now very angry. I I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the things that, for me, that really stands out, where I'm like... He could have totally done this in cold blood, all these things, but why didn't yep. anybody hear it, and why did nobody report it? That's really bizarre. It's the biggest, and that's why I'm being such a dick about it. That's the biggest thing. Right. Um, go. Now, we already talked about, like, he had a volatile relationship with his father. Um, we knew he was a loose cannon, but there was really no true motive to why he killed them. We don't, like, especially the whole family. Well, there is. Money. Right. I'm going to get to that. Oh. So, like, the the money the, the money is a thing, but the entire family... You're right. You're right. You're right. That's, that's where the question mark is. Yep. Because he did ask the police, after they died, how he could get the life insurance money. But it's odd to me that, like, why kill your brothers and sisters? Yeah. Well, you already right. said he said he couldn't stop, so... He couldn't stop, so that was his thing. I think he just started going. Um, but it's a little odd. All right. Now you said earlier how he's changed his stories many times over the years. So uh, let's go through the different um, accounts of Butch's stories. So in 1986, he did an interview with Newsday, which is uh, 12 years after. 12 years after, correct. Um, he claimed that his sister Dawn killed his father. And then the distraught mother killed Dawn. Um, and all of his siblings and Ronnie or Butch then killed his mother. Um, he stated that he took the blame because he was afraid to say anything negative about his mother to his, to her father, Michael Burganti senior or his father's uncle who is Pete DeFeo, who we talked about, who was allegedly working for the mafia. Um, He was um, also saying that at the time he was married to a woman named Geraldine and that he was living with her in New Jersey. So he was 23 years old at the time, if you remember. Uh Sorry, Um, the Geraldine makes me crazy. Oh, Geraldine. There's going to be more of Geraldine. He, uh, he said that his mother phoned him while he was in New Jersey living with Geraldine um, and asked him to return to Amityville to break up a fight between Don and his father. Um, when he, he drove to Amityville with Geraldine 
or with Geraldine's brother, uh, Ricky Romado, Romando, I don't know. Romando? Romando, yeah. And that Romando was with him at the time of the murders and can verify his story completely. Now, turns out, Ricky, not a real guy. Nope, doesn't exist. Does not exist. It also turns out that we can't quite figure out exactly when Geraldine and Butch met. Um, Probably they did not meet until... 1985, because I believe in 1974, Geraldine was only 11 years old. Oh, my God. Really? Yes. Oh, jeez. I didn't <laughs> even know that. So, I'm pretty... I read that somewhere. Uh, Allegedly, they got married later. They did get married later. They divorced in 1996. Yeah, they got and married then, maybe in 89 in the prison? I think so, yeah. Fucking crazy. So, like but, but from what we know, they did not actually meet until uh, 1985, and from previous accounts... Um, and from his handwritten statement, he was living at home with his family in Amityville, and he had a girlfriend um, named Sherry, I believe. Yeah, so, you said her before. Yeah. Yeah. So Geraldine was not even in the picture. Next up, in 1992, um, he asserted, DeFeo asserted that Don was and an unknown assailant fled the house before he could get, uh, oh, the unnamed assailant who fled the house before he could get a good look at him, uh, killed their parents. Wait, what? So start over. So he claimed that Don and a friend of hers. Oh, Don and a friend of hers. Yeah. Okay, sorry. But he didn't know who it was because he didn't get a good look at him. Oh. Um, they, that they had killed the parents and that Don had, uh, killed the siblings because she didn't want any witnesses. So what about her friend? His friend fled the house. Well, why would Don have killed him? I, I think, I don't know, because she was 18 and stupid and probably in love. Oh, well, all right. I'm just putting words in, in Ronnie's mouth, but I okay. mean, you know. Um, so uh, he said, he then said that um, the only person he killed was Don, and it was by accident because they struggled over the rifle. That was in 1992. Uh, um, in 2000, he met with a filmmaker named Rick Osuna. I'm sorry, a writer named Rick Osuna, who um, wrote the book The Night the DeFeos Died. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Butch said that he committed the murders with Don and two of her friends. Ugh. See, this is why I hate him so much. These stories, he just keeps going. He names the friends this time. Yeah. Friends are... Augie DeGenero, De, or DeGenero and Bobby Kelsky, who you remember from earlier, who was his friend who was at the bar with him. Um, and they did it out of desperation because the parents had plotted to kill him. He said that um, after a furious argument with his father, he and his sister planned to kill their parents and that Don murdered the children in order to eliminate them as witnesses. So kind of the same thing. Um he said that he was enraged when he discovered that Don killed the children and uh, knocked her unconscious under a bed and shot her in the head. But she didn't have any of those marks. Well, so police found unburned gunpowder on her nightgown. I know, but... But she didn't have, like, any of the marks of... She didn't have struggle marks. And also, the unburned... Uh, I will... I will assert this. The uh, gunpowder on her... I've read a ton about this... Uh, came from um, 
not just charging a weapon, but being close to a weapon to That's charge. Right. Yep. Exactly. So yeah. it's just from being too close. But that was kind of his argument was that like he thought that was going to save him. Was that the gunpowder? Can you imagine being the dick hole lawyer that told him to say that? That knew enough about forensics that was like, right. Hey, it's now 19. What was it? 94. This was in 2000. Oh yeah. It's now 2000. And we've discovered, we still have the nightgown of your sister. We discovered, which something we didn't know in 1974, that her nightgown had gunpowder on it. You can use that. Mm -hmm. It's awful. It's terrible. But they're getting money out of it. It's a high profile case. Like they just keep bringing it back. So, uh, DeFeo actually denied ever having this conversation with Rick Osuna. Um, and most of the claims actually are sourced from Geraldine. Ah, yes, yes, yes. She's back. So, uh, Geraldine was the one. Oh, so they married in 1989. They divorced in 1993. Sorry. Um, just an FYI, Rick book was adapted into a docudrama called Shattered Hopes. The true high, story. High hopes, shattered hopes. I get it. Shattered hopes, the true story of the Amityville murders. Uh, the film was released in 2011, um, and it features the narration of Ed Asner. Oh, check it out if you can find it. So, <laughs> were you talking to Ed Asner? No, I'm just saying, what up, Ed? <laughs> Fan of the show. Fan of the show, Ed Asner. So, uh, yeah, Ron, Ronnie DeFeo, um, is still in prison in, I can't remember which prison he's in. And I didn't take a note of that. Um, to this day, uh, he keeps trying to find ways to get out, but he will probably die there. Um, just I'll probably s- accuse you. Noel. I know. Here's this podcast. Well, I have a connection to Ronnie DeFeo. <gasps> you don't say I'm going to tell you. So my, I have a good friend, um, Randy who, um, actually, uh, after this all came out, he, he, I, I think that he and they're not the same age. Ronnie DeFeo is a little bit older, but he was fascinated with the story when it came out and um, is still to this day fascinated by all of it. Has been out to Amityville, has seen the house, has done all of the things, has gone to the house where they filmed the movie in Wisconsin when they yeah. filmed the original movie um, with uh, James Brolin. Um, he actually started writing... Ronnie while he was in jail. And actually like I, I for years only knew him as Ronnie DeFeo. Cause that's how Randy always referenced him, not as Butch. Uh, um, so he started writing him letters in prison just to like strike up a conversation. And it was more like, Hey, how's it going? Prison must be lonely. Blah, blah, blah. Like never once brought up the let the, the murders and Ronnie DeFeo, uh, started writing him back and they maintained, um, kind of a pen pal relationship for many, many years. And Randy said, finally, one time he finally decided to bring up the murders. And I don't remember the exact question that he asked him. Um, but I think he more or less, I think he's, I think it was something like, do you remember that night? And he said, it was very like even oblique. Like it wasn't like, so you did a talk it, to me. It was, it was kind of like opening the door and he said he never heard from him again. Interesting. He never wrote him back again. Um, cause I think he, and, and he wrote him a couple, Randy wrote him a couple letters after that, just kind of like hoping to get something. And he said he completely ceased conversation with him. Huh? So I think that, uh, he enjoyed 
not talking about it. Sure. Like you hear all these stories about how he's got a really big mouth and he likes talking all the time. And, you know, he, I think he's always trying to find a way out, but I think he really appreciated that there was this person who wanted to not like capitalize on the story. Um, because I'm going to say this and this is probably a little controversial, but, um, I, I, yeah, I think he's a monster and a horrible human being, but at the same time, I think he probably has a lot of mental illnesses and things that probably should have been, he should have been medicated at some point. He was abusing drugs, especially LSD. So that made him really wackadoo. Um, so I think he's a very sad case and is still a human being that could be rehabilitated. And so, um, you know, even, you Sorry, know, I'm shaking my head only because you murder six people and they're all your family members. I, I know. know. I don't know if there's much rehabilitation. I don't know, but I mean, but I think like that's so brutal and it's what terrible. he did is so brutal. It's terrible, but I, I don't know, but I, I don't know, you know, what was going on in his head that I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I don't know. condone What was going it. on in his head is I want all that money and my parents are standing in my way and I'm selfish, But selfish, if you selfish. are a schizophrenic or if you have some Well, type... I was the one that was, like, giving him that. And I can I, right. When but you were he... like, oh, he's not. He's neurotic. I'm like, all right, well. That's right. But if he does have something that should have been diagnosed and should have been medicated, then, you know, he could have been hallucinating. There could have been a lot of things. We don't know. Um, that's, I'd rather feel sorry that's for the big mystery Don of this. and Mark and listen, I don't, I'm not I saying know. I feel bad for him. I know. I am saying that I still think he's a human being. And so I, I get why he probably appreciated these letters because he was getting that. Oh yeah. Contact. Yeah, sure. Um, um yeah, that's right. the context of this. Yeah. I'm sure he loved having a pen pal. I mean, those and kids who didn't judge him and ask him about this. Right. Right. So it's just an interesting story to me. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, that is an incredible connection that you've always had to this case that I find fascinating. Right. So I'm trying to take that from you, girl. No. Well, and I did. I'm just uh, saying I would never write that son of a bitch because. No. Well, and I, and I, and I think that's probably why I'm a little warmer to it just because I have talked to Randy about this, uh, quite extensively. It's been a long time since we've actually talked about it. I actually emailed him the other day and I was like, Hey, can I tell this story? And he was like, yep. Um, so I do have permission, but I don't like have full details, but he, um, so I think that's why I'm a little bit warmer to it just because he was always so like, he was like, yeah, it was, it was really weird. And I have no idea why I thought it was okay to write him, but he was like, I was just so fascinated by it. And I just, he's like, it's such a mystery to me, the whole story. And I just wanted to like figure it out. And he's like, but I also wanted to like get into his head and understand like, how can you do something like this? Yeah. Well, I have to say like the, this is so hard for me because I, um, you were joking around last episode and you called me a ripperologist, like Jack the Ripper, who is known as the boogeyman, who is in people's worst nightmares over two and a half months, killed five people. Mm Mm-hmm. Allegedly five women he didn't know. Maybe they knew each other. Maybe there was more to it. But when people say something, they're like, oh, Jack the Ripper. And here's a here's a guy who killed six people in his immediate family in the most brutal way. And then never even came clean about it. Like, confessed to it. And then decided all this time in prison that he didn't want to be in prison. And then, like, told so many stories. And then one of the women that he killed he kept trying to throw her under the bus and, and right. say, 
well, she did all of this. She's the orchestrator. Right. right. I mean, as if she could speak for herself. Right. It's not like he's a jailhouse snitch and suddenly we're all figuring out that John was like <laughs> this like serial killer. What right. we know about Ronnie DeFeo is that he had serious mental problems diagnosed for about 12 years and he killed his fucking family. Truth. It makes and, me I mean, so mad. I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. And you bring up a really good point where he, yeah, he's been throwing his sister under the bus and his mother at one point too. Yeah. When he, when he brought up his mother, the judge, cause he, he's filed claims. He's like, put it out there for an appeal and the judge dismissed it immediately. It was like, you know, how, Don't you dare. how dare you? Nope. And so, and that's really, I think what truly makes him despicable. Um, we mentioned the red room earlier there. One of his cellmates, um, wrote a story for, uh, shoot. I can't remember what it was for. Um, this was a guy who, um, he was put in jail for, for drug abuse. And he, he was like, I was a writer who like got addicted to heroin and I somehow ended up in the same prison as Ronnie DeFeo and who was like notorious and famous there. And so, um, he, he basically like became friends with him and just wanted to like get to know him and talk to him kind of knowing that he could maybe get a story out of it because he knew that like, he was only going to be there for so long and, um, he's a writer at heart. And so he, he was able to like procure some drugs for Ronnie. Um, and so that's how he kind of like warmed up to him. And he tells the story about how like one night we were sitting around and, you know, he was like, oh yeah, that like secret room is totally made up. Huh. That's not even a thing. Um, you know, and like all of these things, like just kind of owning up to a lot of this stuff. So there's that. So, you know, there's so, there's so many people and like, we're going to get to the next part of the story, which is the next family and the Warrens and all that stuff. But there's so many people who have stakes in the story or think they know something or know somebody or been to the house and like, um, and even this guy who wrote this article was like, I've been in the house. My grandparents lived down the street and I had actually been there when like the next owners had taken over the house after the Lutzes for like a, a, a Christmas party or something. And he was like, so that was really weird for me that I could be like, I've been in your house. Yep. And that's kind of like, that was a weird connection that we made. And so there's just so many people involved and yep. so many theories and yeah. So, which is why this is a two-parter. This is a two-parter. Uh, are we there? We're there. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to High Spirits. Um, you've been listening to our Amityville special, which is a two-parter. Uh, as always, we are sponsored by Booze, and Sarah Noel's got uh, her booze company she wants to talk about, or her booze recipe. Um, it's uh, three parts Black Box Cabernet, one part Sprite Zero, and some ice, and stir. I prefer it with a blue straw. <laughs> That's right. Thank and I'm you. drinking uh, Old 33. It's Rolling Rock, and I'm really, uh, it's a departure for me. I'm not <laughs> sure what I <laughs> what I think. Um, it came from the 7-Eleven. It really did. Uh, you've been listening to High Spirits, where we talk about ghosts, and we drink booze, and Noelle has one awful thing to say to you. Sweet dreams. <laughs>